Thank you. You can be seated. Thanks, guys. For I love that uh, music. That was good. I love uh, you know Josh. Like, do you play anything with strings? That was cool. I, that's a mandolin, right? Oh, there you are. It's a mandolin, right? That's a kind of neat sound to it. I don't know. Um, I could I could have heard more of that. I want to. I do want to thank Tina and your team, Tina. I know you didn't do it alone, but you certainly led the charge. And we want to thank you for your leadership um, with our kids club each year. Yeah, it really is a. It really is. You know, we say a church is only the sum total of our people. I mean, you can only be as good as your people, right? Because the church is people. It's not this building. It's you. You are New River Church. And uh, you are pretty awesome. So, and it's because of folks like Tina that makes New River Church an awesome church. So I just want to thank you, Tina, for your work. And all of the volunteers, like you said, 50, 57 people volunteering during this week. And it takes a lot of people. And uh, we were talking the other day, like, I don't know, maybe I'm... Maybe I'm proud, but I think our kids' club is like the best one in the whole area. I mean, it's an awesome club, and uh, I just want to see it grow and reach more and more families that don't know Jesus yet. So, good stuff this week. And I know I had fun being a part of it, too. Uh, so this morning, let's look at the Bible, okay? You guys ready for that? I, um, the Bible, you know, is unlike any other book. The Bible's the only book that you study to become like the one who wrote it. God has not just revealed himself in his word, um, but he bears all in his word. And it's important for us to take a careful look at it, and it changes our lives. You know, one enemy in your soul is more deadly to you than 10,000 outside of your soul. You can slay all of them out there, but if there's one that's taken residence inside your soul, it will eat you from the inside out. Everyone experiences rejection, and I happen to believe that the spirit of rejection is perhaps one of, if not the most deadly enemy to your soul and to mine. And a lot of us have just become personal friends with it. We, we've coddled it, myself included. You know, Jesus bought and paid for your salvation at the cross. That is set. That's done. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then your salvation is rock solid. Satan can't keep you out of heaven, but he can keep you from enjoying intimacy with God. Satan can't steal your salvation, but he sure can steal your serenity. See? And if the spirit of rejection gets to live inside of your soul and take up residence there, then it can wreak havoc on the intimacy that you enjoy with God and on your peace. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. <clears throat> I'm going to ask for a special dispensation today. Well, for the next while. This study is personal for me. Um, <clears throat> breaking rejection is something that I need to do. I never realized how much rejection has affected my own soul until recently. 
And the more that I've begun to see it, I see it also at play in other people's lives. And um, it's got to be dealt with. You know, it's not just about avoiding rejection, because none of us can avoid rejection. It's about not letting rejection set up camp in our hearts. Nobody likes to be rejected, right? Nobody. We don't, I don't wake up this morning and say, excellent, I'm going to be rejected today. We don't like that. So what do we do? Well, we come up with all kinds of goofy ways to avoid rejection. And that's the problem. Trying to avoid rejection is like trying to avoid getting wet. Sooner or later, it's bound to happen. And you're going to need a shower anyway. So, you know, you're not going to avoid this. And as I've seen this in myself, I see it around, and I just think it's time to deal with it. But I'm going to ask you to please give me a little leeway to be painfully honest as we go through this. Give me the freedom to say a few things wrong because I don't have it all figured out. I'm not standing here as somebody who has conquered rejection, and so here I am, the masses. Let me share with you my deep insights. That is not where I'm at, friends. I'm in this ditch, and I want out. So if we can work together to get rid of this thing, I think there's freedom on the other side, and there's good stuff over there. So I just ask you, let's go through this together, okay? <clears throat> Rejection's so common, even Jesus dealt with it. Even Jesus dealt with rejection. Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Despised and rejected. Two words that describe how people responded to Jesus. How would you like to have those two words on your tombstone? Here lies Dove. He was despised and rejected his whole life. And yet here we have memorialized in the word of God for all of eternity the way that Jesus was treated. Despised and rejected. Okay? How about John chapter 7? It says that Jesus' brother said to him, Hey, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there might see the works that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. And then John puts this little caveat. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. That must have stung a little. What do you think? Hey, Jesus. Why don't you go to Jerusalem? If you want to be a famous prophet, you got to get over there, Jesus. Mark 3. When his family heard about this, Jesus was teaching inside of a house. Other, the other, this, this story is located in all four of the Gospels. So Jesus is teaching inside of a house. It's about the same time, you know, the story, I, th I think it's the same situation as when the guy dropped through the roof to be healed. Same situation. But here's what Mark tells us. Here's kind of a back story. 
Ready? The back story. So you and I love this story of the guy coming down on the mat and the roof and getting healed. Here's Jesus' family. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his ever-loving mind. That's correct. You read it. Jesus' own family, including his mother, by the way. She's listed not in Mark, but she is in the other, another gospel including his mother, went to collect Jesus because they thought he was nuts. You don't think that had to hurt a little? Right? Here's another one. Jesus was preaching in his own hometown. He's preaching in his own hometown with his own, his own homies, right? And they get so mad at him that they tried to throw him off a cliff. It says all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Now, that's a bad day. I've preached a few rough sermons in my day, but nobody's ever tried to chuck me off a cliff, right? I, my, my point is, Jesus, you know, we think about him being despised and rejected, and we think about the cross, and absolutely, that was the ultimate Rejection, right? But Jesus lived it daily. Can you imagine? My, my question is, how was Jesus able to stay the course, right? Hey, I'm the Messiah. No, you're not. You're nuts. No, I really am. I'm God in the flesh. Let's throw him off a cliff. Do you understand? Jesus, you go, oh, well, he was God. That's why he could do it. No, 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 no. He's living in flesh. He's a guy, like you and me. He's a guy. And he says, I'm God. And he's the only person saying it. Not even his mother believed in him. And his own family, his brothers and sisters are calling him crazy. You, you see the rejection? How does Jesus stay the course in the face of that kind of rejection? The good news is that since Jesus felt the sting and he overcame it, that he can also help you and me do the same. Hebrews 12.3 says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. His endurance, his rising above the rejection that he experienced can inspire you and me to do the same. Jesus overcame it so much, he rose above it so high, that the Bible tells us he literally became the very centerpiece of history. It all hinges on him. Mark chapter 12, verse 10 says, The stone the builders rejected became what? The very cornerstone. So here he was, lived his whole life rejected, despised, rejected. The builders toss it out, and God says, You know, I'm going to make this one, the very cornerstone, the centerpiece, the thing that hinges it all together. Wow. The reason why I share all of this with you is to make this really pleasant point. If Jesus dealt with rejection, then you and I can expect to deal with rejection. If Jesus got rejected, you and I are going to get rejected. Rejection is a part of life. You can't escape it. 
Have you ever been fired? Laid off? That's a rejection. You ever been divorced or broken up with a boyfriend, girlfriend? That's a rejection. Have you ever been denied or turned away? Have you ever been overlooked, unappreciated? That's a rejection. Have you ever been laughed at or mocked? Have you ever been misunderstood, judged by others? Rejection. Have you ever experienced failure? That's a form of rejection. Have you ever had a loved one just die unexpectedly? That's abandonment, which feels like rejection. Have you ever had a parent who was emotionally distant? That's rejection. Have you ever had a parent who was too distracted to notice you, even abusive? A parent who was around but not available? I think that distracted parenting is a greater problem than distracted driving. It does a lot more damage to souls. My point is, you've experienced rejection in some form or another. Getting rejected is not the problem. Giving in to rejection is the problem. What I mean is, let's say it this way. If I give you an ice cream cone and you don't want it, you know, like you, you just had a big steak dinner and you had a huge sundae, and so you're full, legitimately full. Or you just started a diet five minutes ago and now I'm giving you your ice cream cone and you go, you know, no thank you, I really can't have that. You've rejected my ice cream cone. I mean, that's really a basic thing, right? But you did. In essence, you rejected my ice cream cone. You rejected my gift. The spirit of rejection says, you've rejected my ice cream cone, therefore you have rejected me. The spirit of rejection takes the action and makes it personal. You must not want me. No, I just am full and I don't want your ice cream cone right now. That's all. See it? You get passed over for a promotion. Rejection says, oh, they've rejected me. No, they just chose someone else for that job. It's not a personal. And although sometimes it can't even be personal, the truth is, friends, right? As, individ as people, humans, we have been known to literally reject one another at times, have we not? So what I do when I give in to the voice of rejection, I do my very best to avoid getting rejected again because I don't want that, I don't like that, it doesn't feel good. And that's where my life begins to unravel. In fact, friends, we're gonna see as we go through this that God even uses rejection at times as a tool to refine his people. So that we can understand this better, I just want to take a quick look at some different faces of rejection, because everybody responds to it differently. So I just want to give a little list, okay, of, you know, help you process this. Now, <clears throat> perhaps one of these represents how you respond to rejection. My question is this, I'm asking you to evaluate it. What do I do to avoid rejection? What, how do I respond to this? What, what am I doing in my, what am I doing in my life that is actually an attempt to avoid rejection, right? Now, these are just my words and observations, so please don't, you know, don't quote it, that's for sure. 
This is kind of, uh, you know, West Virginia wisdom from a hillbilly to you. I'm not a psychologist, not an academic, just my humble observations as I've walked this planet for 49 years. That's it. So, different faces of rejection. The bully. This is the person who dominates others by fear in order to control how they respond to them. See, the bully beats up on others before they can beat up on him. And when I say beat up, it doesn't have to mean physical. It can also be emotional. It can also be verbal. Emotional blackmail is a form of bullying. Head games, bullying. It's the bully. It's all about trying to avoid rejection. The loner. This person stays alone and doesn't engage in friendships in order to avoid being rejected by friends. If I never call anybody to go out, then I don't have to worry about them saying no. So I just stay in the safety of my own small bubble. There's the judge. This has been me. This person judges others before they can be rejected by them. See, that guy's a jerk. So if he's a jerk, that explains why he's doing what he's doing to me, so that writes him off. I've judged him, so now I don't experience the rejection. There's the party. This person keeps relationships on the light side. They never reveal who they really are for fear of being rejected. They're a lot of fun to be around, but not very deep. There's the giver. This person attempts to buy everyone's love with their good deeds and with their gifts. They've learned that they can feel accepted if they're the one that always brings the donut to the office in the morning or whatever. You know, they're the giver. The control freak, if they can carefully manage their life and the lives of others around them, then they can prevent rejection. This person is also often locked up in perfectionism because everything has to be just right because they don't want to hear that voice that says, you're wrong. That's off. That's broken. They don't want to hear that rejection. So they control it carefully. There's the clinger. This person uh, suffocates their relationships by needing others too much. You have the compromiser. This person will do whatever, say whatever, be whatever they need to be in order to get accepted. They usually compromise their values, they compromise their purity, they compromise who they are, what they believe in order to fit in, in order that others don't reject them. This is the, what do you want to do? I don't know, what do you want to do? Well, I don't know, what do you want to do? Well, I don't know, what do you want to do? You ever find that kind of frustrating, don't you? I mean, whew, that drives me nuts. I'm like, just make a decision already. It's the compromiser. How about the one-upper, it's one of my favorites. The one-upper, this person always has a correction to your comment, or they know something more about a topic than you do, or they have a bigger story than you do, right? You go, you know, I had surgery to remove my brain last week. And this person goes, ha, that's nothing. Two weeks ago, I had all my entrails ripped out, stuffed back in with a pocket knife. And you're like, you're trying to top my brainectomy story? What, what did I, you know, yep, because they, they avoid rejection by always having a bigger story than you do. 
hey, I just used this to weed my garden. Uh, what you should have done is do this. You got da 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 da. Okay, well, thanks. I thought this was working, but I guess not. Always one upping your story. It's how they avoid rejection. Then, oh, here's a good one in the church, the God quoter. God told me to do it. Okay. I mean, they play the God card. How do you defeat that? You just, so, well, I guess so then. I mean, the God card is the alternate one because nobody can reject that one. I mean, it's, well, it's God. Okay. Be careful. Whew. You know, I've got six Bible verses. You have two. I win. And then there's the rebel. The rebel is the last one, and I'm sure there are many others. But the rebel, often the rebel is someone who has felt rejected by someone in authority. And so they reject authority. The rebel is simply avoiding getting rejected by authority again. I wonder, what do you do in response to rejection? How are you trying to avoid rejection? I guarantee it that you are doing it in some way, shape, or form. Because we all are. I mean, we all are. Let me just distinguish something before we go any further. We've got to understand the difference between the act of rejection and the spirit of rejection. Okay, can we, we've got to distinguish that. So we all get rejected, right? That's an action. Even Jesus got rejected, right? So we all get rejected at times. That's different than the spirit of rejection. When I get rejected, I have a choice. Will I give in to the demonic spirit of rejection and listen to the lies of that spirit? Or will I deal with this rejection in a healthy way? The spirit of rejection uses an act of rejection to pull you away from God. The spirit of rejection is actually working to steal your identity, who you are. Because what happens is we change who we are in order to gain acceptance. We're, we try to manipulate how other people respond to us. So look at, I'm a creative type. Some of us are very creative, right? But you learn, well, others don't appreciate my creativity, so I'm going to stifle that. Some people are introverts, but you learn, well, you know, introverts aren't always very well accepted or they're misunderstood all the time, so I'm just going to be the party. Whew, I'm going to force myself to get out there. And you start doing that kind of thing over and over and over again, and before you know it, you've lost complete track of who you are. Because you've done, you've done this dance to win the approval of everybody and to try to basically avoid getting rejected by them. And eventually you go, who am I? Let me put it to you this way. <laughs> Here's great news. God and the devil both want to kill you. Listen to me. I know, before you throw me over a cliff, listen to me. So here they are. Satan kills to destroy, but God kills in order to resurrect a new life. Rejection gets used by Satan to destroy your identity. God uses it 
to restore your identity. God always uses rejection as a redirection, but the choice is up to you. Is any of this making sense? You follow this? Okay, two, ex two examples, and then I close. The first example is a negative one, and the second one is a positive one. And like I said, we're going to be going through this in the coming weeks. Um, but, okay, there's a lot more to come. You remember the story of Cain and Abel in the Bible? Adam and Eve. Good. Adam and Eve had their two sons, right, Cain and Abel. And they each brought their offering to God. And the Bible tells us that Cain brought some vegetables. Abel brought the best of his flock. Now, right there, you hear the difference between their two offerings. Cain brings some. Abel brings the very best. So naturally, God is pleased with Abel's offering. And he rejects Cain's offering. You hear the difference? Did he reject Cain? He just rejected Cain's offering. Follow that? Okay. Cain, though, turns sour. Cain begins to get dark, angry, morose, right? And God comes to Cain, and he says this to Cain. Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. So Cain, it's right there at the door of your life. The spirit of rejection, it's right there, Cain. It wants to master you. It wants to drag you down. You've got to master it. It wasn't wrong for God to reject Cain's offering. God's God. He's allowed to get worshipped however he wants to get worshipped. Amen? Right? That's part. It's not. It's my job to figure out how God wants it, not God's job to Kate cater to me true so it's God's right to reject Cain's offering Cain had an opportunity does he adjust and become what God desires him to be or does he nurse those feelings of rejection and move further away from God see God uses rejection as a redirection he was simply moving Cain in the right direction that's all he was doing so what did Cain do? Well, he decided to eliminate the competition. He, <laughs> he killed his brother Abel. That'll fix it. Now God has to accept my offering. I mean, there were only two of us. Now there's one of us. God has to take my offering now. Wrong. Do you see that, my friend? God's purpose for rejection is redirection. He's seeking to bring Cain to a place of repentance. But be careful. Satan's right there. And his purpose for rejection is elimination. He, he's going to use that rejection to convince you that God doesn't care, that you're worthless. He'll use that rejection to send you down this path of doing whatever's necessary to avoid rejection again. In Cain's case, it meant killing his brother. Sometime in the next couple of weeks, I'll give you a, a warning. In the next couple of weeks, I want to take an entire morning and deal with the subject of God's rejection. The truth is, God doesn't love everything you do. 
We've uh, created this picture of God as being like this doting father that just overlooks everything. <laughs> and uh, that's not God. He doesn't love everything we do. And in those moments when we experience his rejection, like Cain, we have a choice. Am I going to take the redirection? Am I going to change course? Or am I going to get sour and morose and blame somebody else and eliminate the competition so that, right? So sit tight. That one's coming up. That's going to be a hard one. As much as Cain is a negative example, David is a positive example of one who experienced rejection and he rose above it. You know the story of King David? He was, grew up as the youngest of eight brothers. He was the kid brother. He was considered the scrawny runt of the family. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11, you know, King Saul, he's the king, and that's another whole story. We'll probably look at that. God rejected Saul as king, and so God instructs the prophet Samuel to go find another king, and he takes Samuel to the house of Jesse, and this man has eight sons, and so Samuel goes, and he shows up at the house, and many of you know the story. The first seven sons, man, these guys are, whew, impressive, right? Big, tall, strong, leaders, charismatic, smart, good-looking. They got the whole package. And each time God goes, no, not that one. Uh, not that one either. No, not that one. And they get down to number seven, not that one. And Samuel goes, uh, Jesse, do you have any more kids? I mean, because we've come to the last one. And literally as an afterthought, here's what Jesse says in first, this is his own dad, 1 Samuel 16, verse 11. So Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's out tending the sheep. In the Hebrew, that word youngest, it actually means unimportant, least. How's that for an ego boost? Your own dad. Yeah, I, I got, yeah, well, we got David. We don't talk about him too much. He, he's, he's doing the sheep thing. Like, it's almost as though the more they could keep David out of the way, the happier they were, right? He, he's the son nobody really wants to talk about much. Sometime later during a battle with the Philistines, David is just a few years later. He obeys his dad. He takes supplies to his brothers who are fighting on the front lines because, of course, they are they're the kind of guys you want in your army. You don't want David. So David takes the cheese and the bread, and the, he takes the care package to his brothers, and his brothers despise him. And it's in that same battle that then David goes out and kills Goliath. And then David enters the service of King Saul. So now he's working for Saul, right? Saul tried to kill him twice. Have you ever had a boss do that to you? I mean, that's a boss, right? That's a really rough day at work. How was work today? Oh, my boss tried to kill me, but it's okay. It was a good day. I mean, David, two times Saul tried to kill him. The point is rejection. He faced rejection over and over and over again. 
How did David rise above it and become the king of Israel? How? How did David not allow that rejection to define him? I think Psalms 27 verse 10 gives us a little hint into David's heart. He says, look at this, I almost, I cried just reading the word. He goes, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. You hear that? My mom and my dad don't even want me around. But I know that God will receive me. So Lord, teach me your way and lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. See that? See, here's the first key to breaking rejection is, and then we'll just stop here, and that's this. You are rejectable, but that doesn't mean you're rejected. Jesus was rejectable. David rejected. Everybody's rejectable. But it doesn't mean that you're rejected. You and I have a benefit that David didn't have. We have the cross of Jesus. The cross tells the truth better than any other instrument in the world. It tells the beautiful truth about God's justice and God's grace. And it also tells the brutal truth about our guilt and sin. From the cross, Jesus etched this message to you in his blood that stands for all time. Listen to it. You are not worthy, but you are worth it. It's the truth. So you and I have a choice. I can bring that rejection to God and know that he receives me like David. I guess I ask you, where's your safe place? See, that's what it comes down to is... We want to create, we try to create this safe place where I can avoid rejection. And there is no such place. I can't avoid it. But I, I can find a safe place where I know, regardless of what happens, I'm still the son of the king. That's who I am, right? So I don't know where your safe place is. I just want to encourage you this morning to do what David did and lean hard into God's chest and say, even, even, if, even though my mom and dad forsake me, yet I, I know the Lord receives me. So Lord, I just want to pray that, well, that's where we go. there. Lord, I pray that we hear your voice.
louder than we hear every other voice. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.